Well, I expect many of you may have heard there was some excitement at the Martin household yesterday. Uh, if you didn't hear about it, uh, they had a chimney fire and, and uh, uh, volunteer fire department. Everybody was uh, roaming around uh, their house and beating holes in the wall and uh, things they have to do to make sure there's no fire in the wall. Fortunately, you know, everybody was safe, uh, but uh, they weren't able to stay in their house last night. Red Cross put them up in a motel, but keep them in their prayers because uh, Miriam said now their house stinks uh, <laughs> like, like fire retardant and, and is a pretty big mess. So <laughs> they, uh, they could use, uh, use our prayers. So grab your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 15. And we're going to continue this series called Challenged by Jesus. And each Sunday, uh, we're looking at a question uh, that Jesus asks. Usually it's the kind of question that's rather penetrating and and convicting, the kind that can step on your toes uh, or make you squirm in your chair a little bit. Uh, Now, last Sunday, uh, it really wasn't too bad as as it was a reminder of our need to to always express our thankfulness uh, to God for all that he's done. And hopefully, you all had an opportunity uh, to do that over this uh, Thanksgiving celebration this past week. Um, This week, we're looking at a question that Jesus directed toward uh, some hypocritical Pharisees. And maybe you're thinking, Whew, you know, I'm not a Pharisee and especially not a hypocritical one. So this question obviously won't be stepping on my toes. And, you know, all I can say about that is, well, we'll go ahead and get into it and we'll just see what happens. But uh, hopefully you're in Matthew chapter 15 right now. Our our text is going to be verses 1 through 9. But to get us started, we'll just read uh, the first two verses. Matthew 15 verses 1 and 2 says this. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Father God, again, we just thank you for the opportunity we've had to to focus our hearts and our minds on you this morning in worship of song and prayer. And now, God, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would be free to work in our hearts in our minds, in our midst today. We ask that you would be the one who teaches, who leads and guides through this message. We pray this in your name. Amen. So verse 1 obviously sets the scene for us here and tells us that some scribes and Pharisees came down from Jerusalem in order to confront Jesus. Uh, Now, understand, there were scribes and Pharisees all over the land of Israel, but the top dogs, right, the the most powerful ones, they were the ones headquartered in Jerusalem. So it's possible that maybe some of the religious leaders from the regions of Galilee, where where Jesus did the bulk of his um, uh, ministry, spent most of his time, uh, perhaps they had called and asked for some help to deal with this Jesus guy because uh, this, this was towards the beginning of his ministry and things were just beginning to happen and they wanted to maybe get things under control there at the beginning. Uh, we don't know for sure. Whatever the case, these guys came down from um, 
Jerusalem, uh, bringing the big guns with them to, to, to confront Jesus. And the Pharisees, I, I'm sure most of you remember, were, were a religious sect of Judaism that prided themselves on strictly observing the law. And, and we'll see a little bit more about that in a minute. The scribes, if you're not familiar with them, uh, they were not mandated to belong to any particular branch or sect of, of Judaism, but the reality was almost all of them were Pharisees uh, as well. Uh, and... Um, as their name indicates, they were the people that were responsible for making copies, scribes, copies of uh, the books of the Bible. And because of their painstakingly precise procedures that they had to follow in doing that, uh, the scribes became experts in the law of Moses and, and God's word. And, and they in large measure, were responsible for what we find in verse 2 when these Pharisees asked their question. Why do your disciples uh, break the tradition of the elders? That's their that's question. Why, why do they do that? Now, much of the tradition of the elders came from the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees. And these Pharisees, I find, I find it interesting, you maybe look at that, they were not worried about God's law being broke. They were worried about the tradition of the elders. And and the reason for that is because in their minds, the tradition of the elders was just as important, just as authoritative as God's law. In fact, in some respects, they actually held the tradition of the elders in higher regard than the Scripture itself because in their view, the tradition of the elders was the only correct interpretation and application of God's law. So maybe you're asking, well, what exactly is the tradition of the elders? Well, that was the name that was given to all of the rules and obligations that everyone was supposed to follow that had been developed by the scribes and the Pharisees and handed down to the people over all the years and and generations. And the Pharisees, you see, believed it was their job to uh, what they called build a wall or a fence, a wall of protection around God's law. And the purpose, their, their stated purpose in doing that was so that nobody would accidentally break one of God's laws. And the way they built this wall of protection was by making stricter, narrower, uh, and more rigid rules than even God made. Uh, I've given some kind of crazy examples of that in the past. Uh, For instance, uh, God's law says that the Sabbath day is a day of rest and, and no work is to be done on it. So the scribes, they made a whole boatload of rules about what constituted work. And then they made more rules to make sure that you wouldn't break one of those rules. So, for an example, one of the traditions of the elders, one of the rules they handed down was that a woman uh, on the Sabbath day could not look in a mirror. Okay? can't look in the mirror. Why? Because if she looked in the mirror, she might see a gray hair. And if she saw a gray hair, she might be tempted to pluck it out 
And plucking is obviously work, and you can't work on the Sabbath day. So see, you got this whole layer of rules to protect you. And, and, and you can see how that layering system worked. If you worked hard at keeping all these rules, you know, you'd be safe when it came to God's rule. And it seems, you know, pretty logical, right? I mean, it, it makes sense to our human way of reasoning and thinking, but there's a twofold problem with this. Number one, it doesn't work, right? Uh, Adam and Eve, they only had one rule to keep, and they broke that. And, and when they broke that, that uh, um, um, messed us all up and saddled us with, with this sin nature, and humans with a sin nature are notoriously bad at keeping rules. I mean, that's just the way it is. No matter how many layers there might be. But the second reason this system uh, doesn't work is, is that a system based on keeping rules easily devolves into one of mere showmanship. In other words, it's all about how you look. It's keeping up uh, appearances. And, and, you know, God's concern w- was always the heart. Rules and, and ceremonies, they're mainly concerned about outward conformity. And, and, you know, by Jesus' day, the tradition of the elders had all but c- completely supplanted the Scriptures as the supreme authority in people's minds. But because that system was focused on external behaviors and and not on a state or change of the heart well then the scribes and pharisees ended up coming up with all kinds of rules in order to get around their rules that they didn't want to have to follow there's still things they wanted to do but it was against the rules so they had to come up with more rules to be able to do those things So I'll give you an example. Sabbath day, again, we'll go back to that. It was the fourth of the Ten Commandments, and it's a pretty simple rule. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female servants or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. And then the example God gave for uh, following that rule was himself. He created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. That gives us the pattern in which to follow. Now, common sense would tell you that that rule means that you're not supposed to do any make, uh, you know, regular make-a-living kind of work on the Sabbath day. No, no farming or ranching or merchandising or marketing, right? Uh, you can't sharpen your tools so you're ready to go to work on the next day because, you know, that's part uh, of working. Instead, you're supposed to take a day of rest and enjoy that day off. But common sense wasn't good enough for the scribes and the Pharisees. So they had to make all kinds of rules about what constituted work. And they realized that walking is work, at least if you, you know, walk so far. And, and so they made a rule about how far a person could walk on the Sabbath day before it turned into work, and, and which was called a, you've heard this phrase in the Bible before, a Sabbath day's journey. That's as far as you can go on the Sabbath day and not be work. 
The problem was, a lot of these scribes and Pharisees had friends who lived farther away than that that they wanted to visit on the Sabbath day. So they had to come up with more rules to get around that rule that they had made. And and so what they did was they said, if you took a three-legged stool and carried that with you, from your house. It had to be a stool that was in your house. couldn't be a four-legged uh, chair because that would be heavy and be a burden and carrying a burden is work and you can't work on the Sabbath day. But a three-legged stool you could do. And, and since it was part of your house, wherever that stool went, that was considered also a part of your house. So you could take that stool and you could walk the prescribed number of paces away from your house and still be in your house. And, and, and then you had to set that stool down and you had to, you had to rest on it for a prescribed number of minutes because you're just relaxing in your house, enjoying the day of no work. And as soon as you had been there enough minutes, then you could pick up the stool and you could do another Sabbath day's journey. And in that sense, you could then work your way all the way across Jerusalem to visit your friend. It's uh, kind of dumb But it was all done with the pretense of being righteous and keeping God's law. Now, one of the rules that they had come up with was the ceremonial hand washing before you eat. And that is the tradition of the elders that the Pharisees were accusing uh, Jesus and and his disciples of breaking, right? Verse 2 says, For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now understand, this was not, had nothing to do uh, with a matter of, of personal uh, hygiene, right? Uh, rather, this was a ceremonial cleansing in case you had become unclean somehow during the day. Maybe you'd accidentally come in contact with something that made you unclean, so you always had to do this ceremonial washing no matter what uh, in order to be on the safe side. And according to the law of Moses, there were a few things that would make a person ceremonially unclean during the day. One of them would be if you touched a dead body. Now, you would think you would, you would know if you had touched a dead body or not, right? And so it should be pretty easy to tell if you were unclean or not. However, the scribes had come up with another rule that said that the dust upon which the, the dead body might be laying also became unclean. And, and if that dust was unclean and the wind came up and it blown that dust around and you're walking down the street somewhere and some of that dust may have touched you and then you became unclean. And now if you're unclean, the food you touch becomes unclean. And then you take that unclean food and you put it in your body and oh, it's a disaster. So they came up with a ceremony to make sure that you could handle or take care of any accidental uncleanliness. And and the way it worked is first you took a measure of water. The measure of water was equal to one and a half eggshells. And and, and then you you took your fingers and and you pointed them up 
and you pour the water over your fingers. But your wrist had to be down so that the water would drip off your wrist and not run down your arm because if it ran down your arm and touched your robe, you know, the, 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 the water is carrying the uncleanness now and now your robe would become unclean and so then, then you're unclean again. So you had to have your wrist down so the water drips off the wrist. You do that on both sides. Then you reverse order and, and you put your fingers down and, and, and you pour water over them uh, again, making sure you get both hands. And once you've poured water over both uh, hands that way, letting it drip off your fingers. You take a fist with one hand and you rub it into the palm of your other and then you make your fist and you rub it into the other palm and voila, you're ceremonially clean. And can you believe the disciples weren't doing that? And, And this just really ticked off the Pharisees. In their eyes, this was just like breaking God's law. So Jesus responded in typical fashion by asking them a question. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Wow. I mean, he, he just kind of blasted them right there, right? He, he was saying, you know, you guys are all hot and bothered uh, for the sake of your tradition of the elders. And you're breaking God's law with your own stupid rules. And and to prove it, he gave them an an example of exactly what he was talking about. First, he cited the clear law of God. For God said, he starts with God, for God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother shall be put to death. So he gave not only the law uh, of honoring father and mother, but he showed the seriousness of following that law by citing the penalty for breaking it. And then he tightened the noose uh, around their necks by showing them exactly how they were breaking God's law for the sake of their own rules. But you say, by the way, really interesting, isn't it? He says, he starts and first says, for God said... But you say, so he's pitting them against God. (laughs) Here's what's going on, right? But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father and mother. And by this, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Okay, here's what that means. The Pharisees had come up with a loophole through their own rules uh, that got them out of taking care uh, of their parents financially when their parents got old. And they could do that by declaring all of their money Corbin, Corbin, which meant dedicated to God, by declaring that their money was dedicated to God. And any money that was Corbin could not be used for any other purposes. So, you know, if, if poor old mom and dad are eating nothing but oatmeal at the end of the month and, and they come to you for, for help, you can say, oh, man, I'm so sorry, pops, but, you know, all my money is Corbin. It's, it's dedicated to God, and, and I can't rob God. I can't take it from God uh, to help you. So, you know, tough luck. I guess you guys are just kind of out of luck. Sorry. And, and thus, they invalidated God's law to honor father and mother. But to make matters worse, 
That wasn't the end of it. Because, see, they made some more rules about how they could uncorbonize their money if they found something that they really wanted to buy for themselves. And then they could recorbonize it again afterwards so that it wouldn't be available to help mom and dad or, or anybody else who might be in need. So, see, it was really all about keeping their money for themselves. And, and you know, it sounds so spiritual to say, you know, all my money is dedicated to God. But really it was <laughs> dedicated to themselves. But they appeared and appearance is what was important to them. They appeared pious and righteous to others, right? Others would see that, hear that, oh, man, look at that guy. All he has is dedicated to God. But in truth, it was meaningless. It was about neglecting, invalidating God's law so they could keep the money for themselves. And that's what Jesus was pointing out. And, and now maybe you're going again, you know, Whew, see, I'm glad that's not me because I'm not making up any, any laws or rules uh, to, to marginalize or, or uh, um, contradict God's laws. But then Jesus went on to give the application. And, and the application is the point where it might get us. Uh, that's where his question, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition, that's, that's where it can begin to step on our toes a bit. So application number one is found in verses seven and eight. You hypocrites, he says, rightfully did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And what Jesus was getting at there what he was bashing was a ritualistic going through the motions activity. In other words, you do religious things or say the religious words because you think that you're supposed to or because you know it will make you look good in the eyes of others, but in your heart, in the one place that it really matters to God, there's really no thought about God at all. You want me to give you an example of how we might do that today? Have you ever caught yourself saying a prayer before a meal and when you get done and you're diving into the food, you realize, I don't even remember what I just said. Or... You realize you gave no thought to that prayer at all. Or, or maybe you used, you know, a canned uh, pre-recorded prayer, you know, like, Lord, bless this bunch while we munch our lunch, amen, you know, and on we go, right? Um, and you, you did it because you just thought that's what you're supposed to do. And again, not that there's anything wrong with a memorized prayer per se but did the did the words did the activity did it come from your heart did it did it touch your heart at all or were you just doing it to do it because that's what you're supposed to do if it's not from the heart then we're guilty of honoring God with our lips while our heart is far from him. 
And, and I know I've been guilty of that many times. We, we can talk about loving God, about following Jesus, about being a Christian, and, and yet at the same time ignore the teachings or commands of God that you know, just seem out of date or inconvenient to us. Our lips say the right words, but our actions reveal the truth that it's really us who's running our own lives. We can come to church every Sunday, sing the songs, hear the sermon, uh, and walk away no different than when we came. So I'll question each of us has to ask is are we guilty of just going through the motions of honoring with our lips but our heart it's not even there if you say even do the right religious stuff but it's done mechanically thoughtlessly without any conviction or sincerity or or purity of heart. You know, Jesus made the statement in, in John chapter 4, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And part of what that means is that the only true way we can worship God is when your heart is activated and involved. Just doing the activity, just showing up on a Sunday morning, saying a prayer, putting some money in the offering, doing whatever else, it's meaningless if it's not connected to your heart. Now the second application that Jesus gives comes in verse 9. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So this is where, as a person, uh, they add their own laws onto top of God's laws that the Pharisees were doing there. You know, when I was a kid... Growing up in youth group, we had a, a saying that was common in our youth group where it says, you know, a good Christian doesn't drink, smoke, or chew, or grow out with girls who do. Uh, that's that's the, uh, uh, the way we did it in our youth group. And, and, you know, that may be a bit on the humor side, but the reality is, right, that in many churches or groups or maybe individual Christians, they have all kinds of rules about what it takes to be a good Christian. And, and like the Pharisees, They'll typically start with a biblical teaching, but then add their own rules onto it. Again, just example, uh, the Bible gives instructions about men dressing as men and women as women, right? When I lived in Fort Collins, uh, there was a church uh, softball league, um, and one of the churches involved required their girls to wear dresses at all times because Wearing a dress was dressing like a woman, and wearing pants, obviously, was dressing like a man. Which, by the way, just completely ignores the historical and cultural fact that when these verses were written, the men wore dresses and the women wore pants, right? <laughs> men wore robes, and women had to have their legs wrapped, uh, and, and, and this type of thing. So, uh, in fact, the men... Uh, wore short skirts for working. So there's a picture you, you might not get out of your mind uh, really fast. Uh, you, you got that going. Uh, anyway, so these girls were out playing softball in their dresses, 
But, you know, the Bible also has something to say about modesty and, you know, sliding into home plate and a dress could compromise your modesty. So then they had to, to wear pants under their dresses, which I thought pants was dressing like a man, but, you know, it was their rules. And they had all the rules they had to keep. And in that church, if you broke any of those man-made rules, you were called on the carpet. And, you know, chances are, if we're honest with ourselves, we might possibly have our own rules that we really think everybody else should follow. It might have to do with appearances, such as, you know, hairstyles or tattoos or makeup or clothing styles. It could be in church attendance or something as silly as what translation of the Bible someone uses. It could come from cultural rules like when and where a man should wear a hat or should women wear a hat. See, chances are there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. And God is saying, really? What about the heart? Do you end up judging others based on your rules? The rules that you think people should follow? Man, I know I'm guilty of doing that before. I, you know, I, I know uh, there's been times where I see these Christians and and you know what horrible thing they did? They started eating without praying first. Now, everybody knows you're supposed to pray before you eat, right? I mean, I'm sure that's in the book somewhere. But it's not. That's, that's our own rule we made up somewhere along the line. And am I judging someone else based on my rule of the way it should be? Is it my understanding of what it takes to be a good Christian? Is it the externals that I'm judging by? See, Jesus' point here is that it's time for us to stop worrying about others and make sure our own heart is connected to God. To make sure that we're not simply going through the motions or doing something for appearance sake we're living and judging others by our own man-made rules. Why would we transgress the command of God to love one another for the sake of our own rules? Let's pray. Father God, We are thankful for your word and Lord, we do know that we have that tendency to go through motions, to not even really think about you. We could sing a song that has beautiful lyrics and never once let them touch our heart or connect us to you in worship. We can look at another and judge them based on the way we think things should be.
God, help us to focus on our own hearts and worshiping you with a full heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.